Soccer Weekly, ESPN LA 710. Dave Denholm with you. As we are each and every week here on the home of soccer in Southern California, it's ESPN LA 710. I got a, I got a bone to pick with uh, so many people. I'm so tired of hearing this after MLS Cup, which was a, a, a great game on Saturday night. I'm so tired of hearing people whine about the nil-nil and the penalty kicks, especially people who don't know, you know, uh, a penalty kick from... A kick in the the rear, which is what they need. All right, let's stop. Let's go back and talk about this MLS Cup. Won by Seattle in penalties over Toronto FC. Yes, Toronto FC deserved to win. Except for the fact they couldn't put the ball in the back of the net. Don't tell me they outplayed Seattle. Yeah, okay. Statistically, they did. You have to score. And the reason Seattle deserved to win, two words. Stefan Fry. He was incredible in Seattle's net. And Seattle's defense, to their defense, their defense was great. They deserve to win. Now, Toronto FC was, is the better team. Yes, they are. Don't tell me about uh, Sounders fans, about how great your team is. They are. They're a good team. Seattle, Seattle is not as good as Toronto FC. So what? It's a one-off. Seattle's defense deserved the title. They came out, Brian Schmetzer, their interim manager who became the uh, regular manager after uh, dealing with a, a great, I guess, start in it to his career management-wise after taking over from Siggy Schmid midway through the season when Seattle was effectively buried and done. Brian Schmetzer decided that on the road in Toronto, he cannot come out against this TFC team, this lineup that we talked about, how loaded they were, and just go full bore offensively against them. No matter how good Nico Ladero are, no matter how good Jordan Morris are, at least when you play Jordan Morris in his proper position and you don't waste him out on the wing, no matter how good those guys are offensively, they can't outscore Toronto FC. If they start to get into track meet, forget about it, right? Now, this makes sense to me. How does this not make sense to you? Seattle's defense was, to, and their game plan was to play defensively, and it worked. Now, again, it's not always the best to television opportunity it's not always pretty yes Seattle had no shots on goal and to Toronto FC's credit their defense was pretty darn good too but what people are forgetting to talk about is that Stefan Fry save in overtime it is incredible it is the reason Seattle won the title then to go on to penalties and, and get the victory that Stefan Fry save is every bit as good and as important as any goal you'll ever see. If you have not seen the save, go watch it again. And it just amazed me how that changed that game. That was it. Toronto FC was done. They were not going to win after that. I don't care if they played 400 extra minutes or go to penalties, right? whatever. They were going to lose after that save. And it it doesn't do any justice to describe Stephen, Stephen Fry's save of the Josie Altidore header in overtime. But that is every bit as important and as good as a goal. Now, why do you just always look for the goals? For one thing, if that goes in, it's over. Toronto FC is going to win. Stephen Fry saved Seattle and saved the title for them and won the title for them. That's how big. It's one of the biggest saves in the history of soccer. Now, that sounds hyperbolic, but consider you're in a championship match, nil-nil, on the road, 
and it's one of the most incredible saves you'll see anyway. This is not the third week of the regular season. This is not some premiership game between two stiff teams that are going to finish 16th and 17th in the table and are trying to avoid relegation, and that's all they have for six months of the year. This thing mattered. This was MLS Cup. It's one of the greatest saves, maybe the greatest save I've ever seen because of the importance that was on it. So why can't we just revel in that? Stephen Fry fully deserved the MVP. And Seattle Sounders are champs. Oh, man, it just oh, I threw up in my mouth saying that a little bit. Let's just move on to the my LA Galaxy. Here's the thing that you love about me, right? And you can hit me up on Twitter if you want to converse about anything I say on the show, what I just mentioned. Feel free to send your thoughts at TalkSoccer. At TalkSoccer, spelled like you would imagine. That's me. Follow me if you haven't already, and you know I know you're probably. And also follow the station at ESPN Los Angeles. Support the rest of the shows here because they support soccer fans like us. That's why I listen to the station too, and not just this show, which of course I know you do. But here's why you got to love me. I'm wearing my LA Galaxy sweatshirt, but I'm about to tell you the truth about my LA Galaxy. Right? You know you can trust me. Yes, I'm a diehard fan. They're my favorite team in the world, even above my Cleveland teams as most of my Cleveland friends and family can't believe, but it's true. Just trust me when I tell you about the Galaxy. I'm telling the truth as I see it. I'm not sugarcoating it. Kurt Anolfo hired as the head, the manager taken over for Bruce Arena, who, of course, took over for the fired Jurgen Klinsmann. Arena takes most of his staff with him, effectively. They've all been hired over at the U.S. men's national team jobs. Right, They're going on with Bruce. So Kurt Anolfo has to build his, uh, his team, if you will, with the help, of course, of new GMP Vianis and President Chris Klein, who's the only mainstay from you know all this. I like Kurt Anolfo. I liked Kurt Anolfo ever since the first time I interviewed him after a game. It was just me and him, and he looked at me after I asked him some probably dumb question and just looked at me like he had just eaten a bad clam. <laughs> he just looked at me like, what, who are you? What are you talking about? And I liked him ever since because it was a dumb question. That was way back when he was coaching the Kansas City Wizards before they were even sporting KC for you kids. I like Kurt Anolfo. I think Kurt Anolfo's a good coach. I I just, here's the thing about my LA Galaxy. It seems like everything, they're putting the brakes on everything, right? I know we've been hearing those rumors. And things are starting to add up. Jermaine Jones now gets signed by the Galaxy, 35-year-old midfielder, and he's every bit 35 years old. Where, like, do we need another 35-year-old midfielder? Didn't we just have one of those who retired and did nothing? Right? I mean, didn't we just have that? This is not solving our issues necessarily. But that being said, because that's the easy answer, I mean, I dig Jermaine Jones for what he's done for the U.S. national team. He's a good player. And I will say this about what I saw of Jermaine Jones this season, and I watched a lot of them, like I'm sure you have with Colorado Rapids. The dude, if he's on the pitch... It's all out, man. It is blood sport. He wants to win. And I can appreciate that. He will always give you 100%. You've got to love that about Jermaine Jones. Is he talented? Yes. Is he 35? Yes. Is his body 35? And then some. That's my biggest fear. Let me put it to you this way. He's 35. With all the competitions the Galaxy will play in, U.S. Open Cup, whatever, does he get anywhere near 25 games next season? That's my biggest fear. Now, again, he had a good year. He's a winner. He's actually a leader that the Galaxy needs. And he's the type of player in the midfield that we need. 
My only fear is that age catching up to him quickly and the injury situation. I hope if he can stay healthy, he'll be fine. But again, it's pointing to it's Anolfo, it's Jermaine Jones. Where else are they going for designated players? We've got a couple slots, right? We're supposed to have some money available. I'm scared. This is the most crucial period in franchise history. Let me say that again. For my LA Galaxy, this is the most crucial period in franchise history. I'm not talking about when the biggest time. I'm not talking about the most important in terms of signing David Beckham, which is the single most important move in the history of MLS other than starting the league itself, and it will always be. I'm talking about crucial. Which way do we go? Paths diverge. Diverge. What am I, French? The paths diverge, right? Frost talked about it, the great poet. You've got to take the right choice if you're the galaxy. And I'm starting to wonder if they're taking a few feet down the wrong path. Let's remember something. LAFC is on the horizon here. And I know people don't want to talk about it. It's always LAFC gets compared to Chivas USA. Stop doing that. It is not that. It never was going to be that. It's never going to be that. This is a team that is building an incredible stadium just miles from where I live. And actually from a couple miles from where I'm sitting in my butt right now. And I can see what's going on. And LAFC have designs on being a big club. They are not coming into the league to be the 18th most popular MLS side. That's not their mission. They are not coming in the league just to kind of toy around like Chivas USA did and never really take it seriously. Uh, Antonio Cue did, but you get my point. The whole organization, I mean, it was just a mess from its inception on. This is not LAFC. And I'm speaking right to the LA Galaxy now. You are in a crucial time for soccer in Los Angeles, professional soccer. You have had a 20-plus year head start. Don't pump the brakes now. So crucial. Don't pump the brakes now. And that's my fear. Now, again, that can be alleviated. They may have a plan that I don't see yet, and that's fine. I know this seems odd. They don't really uh, consult me on their plans. Though we know they should. Love you, Chris. But you get my point. It's like this could be just a little bit of cautious you know, pessimism on my part. I have been known. But it is so crucial. They can't lose faith. They can't lose sight of who they really are in this soccer world, in this soccer town. One of the biggest soccer markets in the world. And that's what concerns me a little bit. I like Kurt Anolfo. I think he'll be perfectly fine. I like Jermaine Jones if he stays healthy. It's just that overarching kind of, and I think you know what I'm talking about. Hit me up on Twitter if you want to chat about it, at Talk Soccer. That's how we communicate on the show, at Talk Soccer on Twitter. It's the easiest way. You can continue the conversation even after the show, right? Second half coming up. Champions League draw, round of 16. I'm going to tell you the, maybe the biggest matchup in this round of 16 that I'm loving. I can't wait. We'll talk more about that. Also, we can talk a little expansion draft. Had a, a soccer buddy of mine kind of bring up some interesting points. Might get into that as well. This is Soccer Weekly. I'm Dave Dunholm on the home of soccer here in Los Angeles, ESPN LA 710. Soccer Weekly, ESPN LA 710. Hit me up on Twitter, at Talk Soccer. I am Dave Dunholm. 
on another fantastic edition of Soccer Weekly in the home of soccer here in Southern California, ESPN LA 710. We move on to the UEFA Champions League draw round of 16. They had the uh, draw earlier in the week. The round of 16 is the knockout stage now. These are the teams that have come in first and second in their group. They get two-leg ties. The first-place teams have to be drawn against the second-place teams. You can't play someone in your own country, etc., etc., etc. So here's the draw. We'll talk a little bit about these, and I'll tell you the best matchup overall. Uh, Certainly, we'll just go through them. Man City versus Monaco. Manchester City may regret this draw. Monaco is scoring goals for fun. They are so good. Leonardo Jardim has come up with just a magical formula right now with the way they're playing with Monaco. So many great players. Bernardo Silva. I mean, Falcao's finding his way. They've got young strikers. they got uh, Joao Motin. I mean, they just got a lot of talent on Monaco. They get up and down the pitch. Man City certainly very capable of winning the series and then some. But that could be a high-scoring affair. Benfica Dortmund. I like this draw for both teams. It's not my favorite, but I like this draw a lot. Both teams got to feel very comfortable with this. Dortmund's been very up and down. Benfica has to know that Dortmund's been been very susceptible defensively at times this year. They've looked very, very good at times and then very weak at other times. So, But you don't know what Thomas Tuchel's side is going to look like on a game-in, game-out basis. Benfica has to take advantage of that. In this series, still, I still like when you have Pierre Emerick Aubameyang who can finish and finish and finish. You still got to give the slight nod to Dortmund. A Sevilla taking on Leicester City. A Sevilla is the favorite in this for me. Leicester City's been incredible, incredible in the Champions League and utterly dismal in the Premier League. But I think, of course, Claudio Ranieri will tell you he was focusing on the Champions League. That's fine. Leicester City is certainly more than capable of causing problems, but Sevilla is just a better team. They're just more fluid. I, I like what Sevilla is doing defensively at times. And look, Sevilla is not afraid to attack. So they're going to give up some goals occasionally. Leicester City certainly can win the series. These are very evenly matched teams. I still think Sevilla is the better team and should get through. Uh, maybe, maybe my favorite draw. And it's the one that the, the team that really got kind of the shaft, is Real Madrid taking on Napoli. Now, remember, Napoli won their group, and Real Madrid came in second. That meant bad news for one of the teams in the <laughs> in the group one pot, if you will, that actually won their group because they're going to be matched up, unless you were Barcelona because you could get matched up with them because they're both from Spain. You get, the, you get the idea. Napoli got the short end of that stick facing Real. But remember, Napoli is very good. Very, very like quiet about it at times, too, in terms of the national or international press, if you will. They're not going to get a lot of the headlines. And, and uh, don't get me wrong, Real Madrid is fantastic, utterly fantastic. They're playing great. Cristiano Ronaldo is at the height of his powers. I get it. Napoli is a clear underdog. But Arkadiusz Milik, Raul Albiol, Jose Callejon, of course, two players who played at Real Madrid. These guys are not going to be afraid of Real Madrid. They're not going to back down. I like Napoli. I'm not saying they're winning the series, but I'm saying it may be closer over two legs than you think. Because everybody's expecting Real Madrid to run away with this. I like what Napoli's doing offensively. Certainly going to be stout defensively. This is not going to be easy for Real Madrid. I'll tell you what's amazing. Over the two legs, the very first goal of that entire series is going to be massive. You watch. Bayern Munich taking on Arsenal. Bad break for Arsenal. It'll be a quick exit. Bayern Munich's too good. Arsenal is okay. Arsenal can be dangerous. I got to say, Alexis Sanchez is playing better than 
Well, not that I thought he would. I've always thought Alexis Sanchez is a great player, but he is really playing some fantastic football. And Mesut Ozil, when he wants to play, look, everybody in Bayern Munich knows Mesut Ozil. Ozil, because, I mean, he's just, he's one of the best in the world when he wants to play. And I think Mesut has been wanting to play of late. This is going to be an interesting matchup. Expect some goals in there. Bayern's not afraid to let teams score, and they're not afraid to score themselves. But, you know, it might come down to Manuel Neuer, the best goalkeeper in the world, too. Porto, Juventus, this is very winnable for both these teams. Now, Juve, you you figure Juve at home is going to put the lockdown on Porto. Porto, their problem is going to be getting that road goal. If they can somehow get a road goal, game on. But Juventus, in my estimation, too good defensively to uh, lose that series. PSG Barcelona. Now, over the last couple of seasons, you should think, wow, this is the marquee matchup, right? I've been watching PSG a lot. They're a shadow of themselves the last couple of years. That doesn't mean they're bad, but they are not anywhere near the quality they were just a couple of seasons ago. This is an absolute mismatch. This is the biggest mismatch by far in this round. Without a doubt. No No other matchup is even close to being this big of a mismatch. Barcelona romps over PSG. Unless Unai Emery's just been saving everything for this, the PSG manager, because they have not shown me nearly enough up to this point. Leverkusen taking on Atletico. Now this one's kind of intriguing to me. Roger Schmidt and, and Leverkusen have really not found their stride yet. Not yet. I mean, they played a 10-man Schalke side. I did that game over at Fox just to, over the weekend. Did barely won. Could barely get uh, scrape a goal late to win that game. I mean, Leverkusen, Atletico Madrid should not have a, any problem with this series. Leverkusen just had, you know, Chicharito, Chicharito can knock you out of a tournament like this. So Atletico must be careful, but he is just not scoring. This team is not clicking. Bayer Leverkusen is in for a very, very difficult round of 16. So it should be great. These are fantastic matchups. There's no doubt these are great teams. All of them on some level, even if I'm picking on them now because of the matchups they're facing or maybe they're the worst, quote-unquote, out of the round of 16 teams, they're still phenomenal. All these teams can be very dangerous. It's going to be a great Champions League knockout stage, as it always is. Give me your thoughts on some of your favorites, teams that you uh, think uh, maybe even upset potentials. You can hit me up on Twitter throughout the week. Don't forget, keep the conversation going here. At Talk Soccer. That's the Soccer Weekly Lives. That's me, at Talk Soccer on Twitter. And uh, we continue with this expansion draft for MLS. I just want to slightly touch on this. I'm not doing any Pachuca Toluca update. You're not going to hear Tigres del Norte or anybody else who uh, we always play here when I do this bit because it's the offseason. And, yeah, Pachuca's making a few little things right now. Moves. I want to see how things shake out. Pachuca's made a couple of moves. Toluca hasn't done much yet. But, again, there's plenty of time. This is the offseason between the Apertura and Clausura. So I want to see how things kind of shake out a little bit. Again, Pachuca's made some moves. I'll break those down further as we get closer to the Clausura and, 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 and see how kind of this window transfer, all the you know the business that these uh, Liga MX teams are doing right now. I want to see how it all shakes out a little bit. Expansion draft for MLS for Atlanta United and Minnesota United happened. And, uh, you know, I think, what, five picks from each team, ten guys total. Ten teams were affected because once you had one guy picked, you were off. You you couldn't lose more than one. Half the league did not lose any players, including my LA Galaxy. Nobody was chosen off of our unprotected list. So it's really MLS is kind of pulling back the expansion drafts whenever they have these more and more, really. 
They're not that dangerous. And you do get some general allocation money if a, one of your players is selected, by the way. You don't just lose a player. You do get some what they call GAM, general allocation money. You get some of that back. So there's there's some fairness to it, and it is an expansion draft. you gotta you got to feed these other teams some way. And, again, they're only getting five players each. Is it necessary? I was having a conversation with a soccer buddy of mine. He was saying it didn't seem necessarily necessary. What's the point? Teams can go out and buy their players. Yeah, he's right. You're right, John, but I mean, is it necessary? No, but it's not that big a deal to me. It's kind of fun. I think it's a kind of an interesting hot stove thing for MLS. Everybody's kind of getting tired of like the waiver draft, the supplemental, the, the regular draft, all these other kind of weird drafts that they've had or have still. I don't even, can't even follow them all, but at least an expansion draft, most sports fans understand that certainly when it comes to expansion of their leagues or whatever. And there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, yes, a lot of guys get picked. They're going to get traded. They're going to get traded right back. We saw that with uh, Clint Irwin, the goalkeeper for TFC. Toronto FC left him unprotected, taking a chance. Atlanta United grabbed him and then was able to trade for another guy off TFC's roster and some general allocation money. So, look, it, it's all kind of back and forth. I get that. Is it necessary? No. I don't think it's the worst thing in the world, though, to do. But the MLS is kind of phasing those, if not out, to uh, much less importance when you're building expansion teams. And LAFC is going to have to be ready for that. Hey, you know what time it is? It's my favorite time of the show. It is stoppage time. Care. That's right. All right, we still got to keep going, though. I got uh, like a minute left, Jesse. Blow that whistle after stoppage time, all right? I promise. I'll get to you in a second. Kashimar Antlers. 3-0 victory over Atletico Nacional in the Club World Cup. Now, I I really made a mistake if you're an Atletico Nacional fan because I basically pledged my undying loyalty to Atletico Nacional of Colombia after how they handled the unfortunate tragedy with Chapecoense and the Copa Sudamericana. You know the story with the plane crash in Colombia. Atletico Nacional, I declared my undying sports fandom for them. And I want to apologize to all Atletico fans for that. I am the kiss of death. That's my fault because Kashima Antlers in the Club World Cup, the Japanese team, ran all over them on the scoreboard. Now, the game wasn't quite that lopsided. Atletico certainly had a lot of chances, but somehow Kashima cashed in, no pun intended, and beat them 3-0 to move on to the final. I apologize to all Atletico Nacional fans for ever thinking I should join the ranks of the great fans of the green because that's my fault. I am like Mush from Bronx Tale. Anything I touch in sports just turns to mush, except for the Cleveland Cavaliers this season. I never win. Who am I kidding, right? Okay, the Galaxy have. Yes, I've had some other examples of where. But really, I'm mush. I touch something in sports, it just turns to mush. It's, it's death. So I apologize, Atletico Nacional. That's my fault. By the way, Club America taking on Real Madrid coming up as we uh, get out of the show here. Give me your thoughts on that, at Talk Soccer. Feel free to hit me up. I love following you. Love following you guys. Love uh, keeping the conversation going. But I got to say, keep an eye on Club America in this match. If Real Madrid doesn't feel like playing, Club America certainly talented enough to beat them. But I've seen Real Madrid go to these things and really care. And if they really, really care, then it's 3-1 or 4-1 or 3-0. That's just the way it's going to be. Now, Club America could pull up the upset if if Real Madrid even lets their foot off the pedal for a minute because Mexican sides will do that. They'll play 
100%, 90-plus minutes every time. That's why I love Liga MX. They are just going to fly around. They're not going to be afraid of Real Madrid. So I'm looking for a, a, a good match. I'm looking for Real Madrid to come out a little sluggish and a Club America maybe to take it to them early. And hopefully it'll be a good match. I, I really, If I'm predicting it right now, I'd say Real Madrid probably gets by 1-0 or 2-1 in a pretty darn good affair. So we'll see what happens there. This is Stoppage Time, and I'm Dave Denholm. This has been Soccer Weekly on ESPN LA 710. Take care. <laughs>